And uh, we're continuing in our series in the, the book of Romans. And if you're here last week, we gave a bit of a weather forecast. Uh, what to expect because it's been, uh, it's been dumping rain in Romans now for, uh, for several weeks. Uh, there's a purpose to that. It isn't just to depress us. Uh, but Paul's taking us somewhere as he's talking about this righteousness that's available in this, this gospel that he's unashamed to proclaim. And the last week, if you're here, we talked about the fact that this week there, there, there'd be some cloud breaks. And so that is the case as, uh, as we look at the back half of Romans chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to uh, go there in a, in a moment uh, to Romans chapter 3. Uh, as you're going there, uh, you know, I, I heard a story uh, not long ago about a guy who has a, a, uh, a carpet cleaning business. And his, in his carpet cleaning business, his specialty is cleaning homes that have pet odor in them. Um, specifically, removing that, that smell of a cat or a dog or any other animal that people happen to have in their homes these days. Uh, be able to, to extract that smell and take that, that smell out of the home. And uh, how, uh, how this guy does it is he goes to a home, uh, to a, someone who wants a bid to have their house cleaned, and, um, and he goes in the home, and, and they turn out all the lights, and then close the drapes, and uh, he takes with him a powerful UV black light with him, so that when all the lights are turned off and the room is darkened, he takes this uh, powerful light and shows what, what's on the carpets. And what happens, this is a bit disgusting, uh, but uh, the, the black light reflects off the urine crystals uh, that are in the carpet um, and uh, to, to show that uh, you have a need to have your, your house cleaned. Now, an, another business owner was talking about just kind of sharing some of the responses of people, uh, their reaction when this UV black light is turned on and, uh, and this, the state of their home is revealed in a new light. Uh, and uh, so uh, this one person who runs the business says as he turned on his light says to the horror of the homeowner every every drop and dribble could be seen not only on the carpet but usually on the walls the drapes furniture and even the lampshades don't ask me how I I don't I don't want to know uh, he, he goes on to say one homeowner begged me to shut off the light I can't bear it anymore. I don't care what it costs. Clean it up. Another woman said, I will never, ever be able to be comfortable in my own home again. And he goes on to say, the offense was there all the time, but it was invisible until the right light exposed it. And it would have been cruel to show the customers the problem and then say, too bad for you and walk away. I brought the light so they might desperately want my cleaning service. And that's what Paul has been doing for us in this letter to the church of Rome. He's been shining the light to expose our our true status before a holy, righteous judge. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, in the ordinary light uh, of our own perspective, we look at our souls, we look at our lives, and we come to the conclusion that, yeah, we're really not that bad. It's not that bad. Uh, there's more good than bad, and we, we sort of rationalize, uh, and, and we might even see someone that we know pretty well and say, they're, they're not that bad, in, in this ordinary light of our own perspective. Yet when you shine the light of God's holiness on our lives, it exposes sin. Every drop, every dribble, 
everywhere. It exposes it. And Paul is doing this in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and into chapter 3 because he wants to see us. He wants to make sure we see ourselves not in the ordinary light of how we see ourselves, but in God's light and how he sees us so that we will understand that there is no one that is righteous. In fact, that's how we ended last week. Romans 1 was God's handing us over because we're replacing God and we, we've been handed over to our sinful desires, shameful us, depraved minds. And, uh, and, and the end of, of Romans 1 into Romans 2, then we hear that, uh, well, we're not really talking about them, we're talking about us. You, therefore, don't have an excuse. You're guilty. We have all our excuses. We point fingers. There's even some who say, well, that applies to other people. It doesn't apply to me. And what Paul has done is broken it all down to where we understand we're in the courtroom and we're all falling short. We have all sinned. Our lives have been marked with sin. We're stained every dribble, every drop. It's everywhere in our lives. And we're in a very precarious situation. That word sin is a, uh, it's, it's, it's a hard word to hear. It's also a difficult word to, to, to fully comprehend. And there's some different words used in the scriptures to define what sin is. Here's three common words you'll find in the Bible uh, that talk about sin. The first one is the word transgression. Um, some, uh, some translations that will find the word trespass. It means to cross a boundary. Uh, when, when Trina and I were living at Hood River, uh, we had a pretty big driveway. Uh, we were on a busy street. And our kids, they love to ride their bikes. And uh, there's a safe part of our driveway to do that. And there's a line that, you know, if you get too far, you're getting too close to that busy street. So we took chalk, drew a line, and told our kids, don't go past the line. To which you know what they did, Right? They start looping their bikes kind of close to the line and just kind of swoop around. And then when mom and dad are not looking, they go over the line. They've trespassed. They've transgressed. They crossed the line. They crossed a boundary. That's a word that's used in the scriptures to define sin. Another word you'll, you'll find often in the scriptures is the word lawlessness. Lawlessness. This is the word that means it's an attitude that says, don't tell me what to do. Please, don't, you, you don't tell me what to do, Okay. You, you, you just live your life how you want to live your life. Don't tell me how to live my life. It's this kind of this view that we're autonomous, that we're, we're our, own, uh, you know, our own Lord. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a lawlessness. Just don't tell me what to do. And, and then the last phrase you'll find often in the scriptures is this idea of missing the mark. Now, we'll see here in Romans chapter 3, it, it means to, it's falling short. In fact, Paul will use those words, missing the mark, falling short. So when you put all three together... When you, you cross a boundary uh, that God has, has put in place, like in Genesis chapter 3, you can eat from every tree in the garden, just don't eat from that one. There's the line. Humanity transgresses, they trespass, they cross the line, and then when God confronts or someone confronts you and says you've crossed the line, and then if you respond by saying, hey, don't tell me what to do, I'm going to live my life how I want to, that's lawlessness, which then causes the end result to be missing the mark or falling short. That, in a, in a synopsis, is what sin is. And the reality is, is that all of us have been marked by that process. There's not a single person in this room who does not have the stain of sin in their life, outside of Christ, the stain of sin in their life, and God's holiness exposes every drop, every dribble, everywhere in our life. That's, that's the status of who we are without Christ. But now, but now there is a righteousness being revealed apart from the law, meaning 
There is a way to have that stain of sin removed that isn't about doing. It's apart from behaving a certain way. And Paul's going to talk to us about God's carpet cleaning business. Okay? Paul's going to talk to us about how, how God will take all those, those sin stains and remove them and bring you to a place of complete wholeness. In fact, what we're going to do at the end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion together. And my hope for you as a Christ follower is that when you come and take that bread and you're going to dip it in a, in a cup with juice, that you will come to the, to the communion table. You will come with a new understanding, with a, with a richer understanding of all that God has done done to make you whole. And I will honestly tell you that if you do not have a relationship with Christ, my hope is that you will cry out like that one homeowner and say, I can't stand it anymore. Turn off the light. Clean it up. I don't care what it takes. And you're going to have that opportunity as well. So let's dive into the text and find out how this happens. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. I want to read uh, through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 31. If you'd stand with me, that'd be great and follow along. As I read, here's what you're going to hear, okay? Uh, Paul's going to talk about this, this cloud break and the sun starting to come through now. There's a righteousness that's available to you. This isn't plan B. This is plan A all along. Okay, God didn't say, oh, that, that first covenant didn't work. I'm going to try another one. Uh, you'll see it right from the beginning here. And then some words of how it happens. And, uh, and then he's going to talk about how the fact that he, over, he just didn't punish sin from the past. And how he's going to have to demonstrate his justice in order to justify. And it's for everyone. Jew or Gentile. And there's nothing that we can do to get it, which means we can't boast. So track along here as I read. Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Now, if you've ever tried to learn a second language, and, you, and you've done that, you know the difficulty of that, and it's not just learning new uh, vocabulary and new words, there are nuances to them. In fact, if you're trying to learn the English language, English is very complicated. Uh, and there are words that we use 
that uh, when you just say them, they, they immediately bring meaning with them to the table, a story uh, or an experience. Um, and sometimes these words will end up forming idioms or, or phrases or cliches that everyone else knows what you mean, but someone who's trying to learn a language has no idea what you're talking about. Like you're, you're sitting there and you've got a friend with you who's trying to learn English and then you say to the group in the room, hey, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And uh, the person who's trying to learn English goes, what elephant? Uh, and everyone else goes, well, we know what it is because it's, it's what everyone's dancing around refusing to talk about, right? Well, there's a story there behind that, that phrase. Or if you say the, the phrase, uh, let, don't let the cat out of the bag, that poor person who's trying to learn English is going, those crazy Americans, they put cats in bags and then they don't let them out. No, it goes back to uh, this, this idea of let's keep this hidden or don't tell anybody. Let's keep this as a secret among ourselves. Don't let the cat out of the bag. There, there are phrases or words that are spoken that have meaning behind them that, uh, that we hear them and we know exactly what they mean. I, what I want to do today is look at some of the words as God's cleaning service starts moving into action. There are some words that Paul uses that so the, the hearer of the day would hear it and go, yep, I know exactly what that means. In fact, I know the story that's connected to that. Yet for us, we read this in the Bible and we're like, okay, yeah, I did this, did that. I, I know it's good. I'm not sure just what it, what it all means. And I just sort of want to flesh those out for us so that we understand that when God shines the light of holiness on our lives, and he sees all the stain of sin, how he goes about cleaning us so that we can be made right with him and experience the righteousness that he's made available to us. And how I'm going to do that is just by looking at two sentences right in the middle of this passage we just read. It's the end of verse 22, and it goes through part of uh, verse 25. Here's, Here's the two sentences. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we ended last week. Okay, there's the missing the mark piece. That's where we ended last week. All fall short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Let's dive into those two sentences and find out how God cleans us up and removes all the stain of sin in our life, every drop, every dribble that's everywhere. And he begins by saying that we are justified freely by his grace. That word justify is a word, it's language of the courtroom. Okay, we've been talking about courtroom and living room. This word justify is language of the courtroom or the legal system. So when Paul says you're justified, what you need to do is picture in your mind being in a courtroom, uh, the the trial has taken place, you're there, you're the defendant, and uh, you know that you're guilty. All right, you you know you're guilty, but you know, people are making their, uh, they're going through the due process and they're presenting evidence and it's come to that point where the, the, the jury is in the room and the verdict is being handed to the bailiff and the bailiff is taking the verdict over to the judge and you're standing there and your life is hanging in the balance because you are at a major intersection. And as the judge takes that verdict and he's about to read it, it's like time is moving in slow motion for you. And he reads the verdict, and you're fully expecting to hear guilty, 
And what you end up hearing, even though you know you're guilty, even though you know all the evidence that's presented has convinced people that you're guilty, the judge says to you, not guilty, you're declared righteous. That's what it means to be justified. It's the opposite of to condemn. You're acquitted. And if you're in that situation and you know you're guilty and the judge says not guilty, you realize you are off the hook and this huge weight comes off your shoulder and you're wondering why, how? And Paul says you have been justified. It's the language of the courtroom. You've been justified, declared not guilty, declared righteous freely, meaning you didn't do anything to make this happen. Uh, There is a price for it. We'll get to that in a second. But you didn't pay it. It's free to you, and it's by his grace. You're declared not guilty, declared righteous, justified freely by his grace. That word grace is a word we sing about. It's a word we speak about here in church, but it's a word that we we often don't understand the, the full depth of. And so let me just contrast it for a moment with the word justice and the word mercy. So on the screen here, just I'm going to read this sen- these couple sentences to you. Justice gives you what you deserve. That's the definition of justice. Justice gives you what you deserve. Mercy withholds what you deserve. Grace gives you what you do not deserve. So you're in your car. You're on I-5. And there's been a boundary that's been painted. It's called a speed limit, right? And the speed limit is 65. And, uh, and you're doing 85 on I-5. Uh, and you're, you're a transgressor, all right? You're trespassing. You're, you're over the line. You're doing 85. You're driving up I-5. And, uh, and you're having a great day. And then you get pulled over by a state trooper. And you're on the side of the road, and the state trooper walks up and tells you, you've been driving at 85 on I-5, the speed limit is 65, um, and uh, they take your license, your registration, proof of insurance, they go back to their car, they do what they do back there in the car, and they come back up to your window at your car, and they bring with them a nice, big, fat ticket, and they give it to you. What did you just get? Justice, right. You got what you deserved. The line was 65, you went 85, you crossed the line, you got justice, what you deserved. You got a ticket. Let's say you're driving down I-5, you're doing 85, speed limit is 65, and you get pulled over by a state trooper. You're sitting in your car, the state trooper walks up, and, and as you give the license, as you give the registration and the proof of insurance, you say to him, hey, I'm a pastor, and uh, uh, you know, can you cut me a little slack? And, and the officer kind of looks at you, goes back to his car, and, and does what he does back there, and he comes back to your window, gives you back your license, your registration, your proof of insurance, and says, here's the deal. I'm gonna let you off the hook today, but you need to slow down on I-5. What, what, what have I just received? <laughs> Mercy, right? Yeah, they, they withheld what I deserved. I crossed that line, I went 85. I deserved a ticket, but I, it was withheld. I received mercy. Now imagine this scenario. You're driving down I-5, 65 is the speed limit, you're going 85, you get pulled over, state trooper pulls you over, you're there, he comes to your window, says license, registration, proof of insurance, goes back to his car, does what he does there, he's coming up to your window, and you're wondering, are you going to get off, or are you going to get justice, what's going to happen here, and he gives you back the license, 
He gives you back your proof of insurance, gives you back your registration, and then puts his hand in his pocket and pulls out a $100 bill, snaps it a couple times, and says, hey, take this 100 bucks, do some great Christmas shopping, have a wonderful holiday season, and uh, God bless you, you can go on your way. What'd you just get? Grace. Happens all the time on I-5, doesn't it? <laughs> right. No, it's like, wait, that's absurd. That's ridiculous, but that's grace. That is grace. And when, when Paul says we've been justified freely by his grace, it's ridiculous. Because when God shines the light of his holiness on, on our lives, there's sin everywhere. Every drop, every dribble, it's everywhere on our lives. We've tried to conceal it. We've tried to minimize it. Ah, I'm not a pretty good person, and I'm not that bad. And then the light shines. We're like, oh my, turn it off. And God says, not guilty. And we're like, how could that be? That's ridiculous. That's grace. Now, if you are driving down I-5, you get pulled over, and a cop gives you 100 bucks, you might come to the conclusion that, hey, I'm driving 85 every day. Because then I'll get 100 bucks, right? Well, guess what? That's exactly what Paul was imagining when he told them about grace, which is why in Romans chapter 6, and we'll get to this uh, in several weeks, Paul says in Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Or just put it in this paraphrase. What shall we say then? Shall we drive 85 miles an hour on I-5 so that grace may increase? Grace is so absurd and so ridiculous, so outlandish, so lavish as God gives it to us that you know, we're going to have to process how to handle it, how to steward this grace we've been given. But the reality is, is that Paul tells us in the courtroom, we all fall short, no one is righteous, but you have been declared not guilty, you've been justified, you have a new status. You have a new status, it's free to you, it's a gift of grace to you. It didn't come without any cost, there is a price, which leads us into the second word that Paul uses in this couple sentences to help us understand how this cleaning service of God takes place. He goes on to say that we have been justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If justification is the language of the legal system or the law court, redemption is the language of the slave market. Redemption means, in its Old Testament sense, redemption means it's to to buy back. It's to set free by paying a price, which is sometimes why in in the scriptures you'll find the word ransom. You, You paid a price and someone was set free. In a real small way, we, we, we experience this all the time in Oregon because if you've got pop cans and you take them to the store, your pop can can be bought back with a price, right? A nickel. You, you get a nickel for a, for a pop can. It's the redemption price. But here's the reality. It says you're worth way more than a nickel. See, God has paid a price and he paid a price for your ransom And there's a whole new thing going on here. He sends his son to the cross to pay the price for you. That's the ransom price. The the consequences of sin is death. And Jesus goes to the cross and he pays your price for you. 
And this word redemption, as the people are listening to Paul's letter, what they would have known, the story behind the word is the story of Exodus. They would have recalled the the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, the the, the plagues, the 10th plague in which the angel of death is going to come over and every firstborn son in every house, their life will be taken unless you pay the price. And what's the price? The price is you have to go out into your flock and find an unblemished lamb. You slaughter that lamb, you take the blood of that lamb, and you apply it to doorposts of your home, every opening in your home, you apply the blood, and your whole household needs to be in that home when this plague happens, this angel of death comes over. Every house that has the blood is safe, every house that does not have the blood is not safe because they didn't pay the price. And we know from that story in Exodus that, that after that plague happens, that Pharaoh lets the people go, and they are liberated from slavery. They are set free from their cruel taskmasters. And what Paul is doing is he says that we've been redeemed by Christ. We have redemption through Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that a price has been paid, and you are now set free from the power of sin. You are redeemed from that old way of living. And there is a whole new exodus taking place now from the courtroom to the living room. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 says this. For this reason Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. That those who are called may may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. There's that word ransom that sets you free. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 talks about how that happens. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. You're in the courtroom. You know you're guilty. The verdict is being read. You hear you've been justified. You've been declared not guilty. It's free to you because Jesus paid the price. You walk out of the courtroom with the new status because you have received redemption through Jesus Christ. He paid your ransom price on the cross. He set you free. You were stained with sin. You had drops and dribble everywhere. It's disgusting. It's an offense to God. But Jesus Christ pays that price for you. He redeems you, which leads us to the third word that Paul uses. If justification is the language of the courtroom and redemption is the language of the slave market, this next word this word atonement, you'll, you'll hear it here. God presented him as a sacrifice. When he goes to the cross, God presents him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Here's the story behind the word atonement. Atonement was something that happened once a year for Israel in the temple. In the middle of the temple, there was the holy place, and inside the holy place was the most holy place. And once a year, the high priest would go in the most holy place, and he would take blood from a sacrifice and sprinkle it on what's called the mercy seat. It's the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. He'd sprinkle blood on the the mercy seat. He would then come out and place his hands on what was called a scapegoat. And he would then transfer the sins, the shame, and the guilt of the nation Israel to the scapegoat and send it out of the city. 
By the way, this is where we get our English word scapegoat. So we have atonement through the sacrifice in Christ. What happens here, that the blood has been sprinkled, our guilt, our shame is transferred to Christ. And Christ goes to the cross and he pays the price. He is the sacrifice. He is sent out to the city. He was crucified outside the city. And we have our sins atoned for. And even beyond that, there's another word that's connected to this idea of atonement. It's not a word you really need to remember. And frankly, it's a hard word to even pronounce. Uh, But I want you to know the concept. Hebrew minds would connect atonement with this word called propitiation. And what propitiation means, it means to appease anger. It means to appease anger. You know, like someone you really, really care about is angry at you, and uh, you want in some way to make things right so that the relationship can be right. When that happens, that's propitiation. That means you appease anger. So what Paul is saying is that the blood's been sprinkled on the mercy seat. Your guilt and your shame has been transferred off of you to somebody else, Christ, and now because Christ has gone to the cross, all that wrath, all that stuff up here you see that's dark mind, all that wrath of God that was aimed at you and me because we've offended God is now redirected and it's placed on his son, which is why he dies on the cross. The wrath of God is now satisfied through this atonement in Christ. So you, you got to get this. Here we are. We've gone through Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we're here, and we're in this courtroom. No one's righteous. And simply by believing what, how you exercise this and, and, and receive justification, redemption, and atonement is simply by faith in Christ. So by believing that this is true, that God sent his son, you can have a new status before God, the vertical be read, not guilty. It's a free gift to you of his grace. The price has been paid. Your ransom price has been paid to set you free from the power of sin to slavery. And now you can be atoned. Your sins can be atoned for. God's anger is satisfied. His wrath is satisfied. It's appeased. And, and your guilt and shame has been transferred to someone else. You are now atoned for your sin. You've been cleaned up. First John chapter two uh, tells us this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This isn't just for a specific group of people who measure up, who can do things a certain level of, uh, a certain level of excellence in their life. That's not the point. It's for everyone. And what motivates God? Does God shine his light on our lives, exposing every drop, every dribble, so that he can say, see, I told you you were a mess, and then walk away? No. He shines the light on our lives and exposes us for who we are. He does it because he is motivated by love, and he wants to, he wants to bring you into a right relationship with him, which is why 1 John chapter 4 says these, these words, this is love. Here's the motive, folks. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you're here and you're a Christ follower and you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been justified, declared not guilty, a new status before God. The ransom price has been paid. Your sins have been atoned for. God's no longer angry at you. He's your dad. And the shame and the guilt's all been transferred to Christ. It's been paid for. 
And this is good news. And if you've got a pulse, something in you has got to go, oh, yay, that feels good. That's why Paul is unashamed to declare this good news of the gospel. Because all this is available. But here's the reality. If you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Christ, you are not justified. You have not been redeemed. You have not experienced atonement because you're standing in the courtroom and you're trying to tell God, life ain't that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. And here's the reality. You can't make it right. You can't do it. It's only through Christ. And it's only through him that that stain of sin can be removed every drop every dribble everywhere and so today as we come and we celebrate communion if you're a Christ follower and you take that bread that you're holding in your hand that symbolizes the body of Christ the body of Christ by the way which was beaten, tortured, shredded, spit upon you're holding a, the body of a symbol of the body of Christ and you dip it into the cup, which is a symbol, the juice is a symbol of the blood of Christ, which is the price that's been paid. It's redemption. In fact, at the Passover meal, it was called the cup of redemption. You dip it in the cup and when you hold it in your hands, you hold it there knowing you have a new status before God. He's not mad anymore. You're his friend. You've been bought with a price. He's ransomed you. Your sins have been atoned for. All that guilt, all that shame transferred is taken away. And you now are at peace with God. And my hope for you is when you come today and you take the bread, dip it in the cup, and go back to your seat and take communion, that you will have a fresh revelation, a new depth of understanding of all that Christ has done for you. And I also want to tell you that as people are coming today, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you're in that place where you're in the courtroom and you have not experienced justification by faith in Christ, you have not experienced redemption by faith in Christ or atonement by faith in Christ, today there will be people up by the cross on this other side. There will be people standing here in this aisle helping people take communion. But on the other side, there will be people here who, who are prepared and who will want to be in a conversation with you to explain this to you, to lead you in, in, in a process of, of beginning to experience all that's been explained today. You can be declared not guilty simply by exercising faith. And here's the good news. All weekend long, people have been pounding ribbons in the cross. All weekend long, people have been saying, I can't take it anymore. Turn off the light. I'm done with this. I'm telling you, if you're here today, you need to understand the full weight of who you are outside of Christ. And you need to experience the full joy of being in a relationship with Christ because it's unbelievable.